Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. A Simple Farmer by Benton Chapter 1 Growing Up on the Farm All Rory knew was farming and ranching. Being born and raised on a farm, he hadn't learned anything else. He went to a small rural school in the Colorado. The nearest town was four miles to the west and had a population of fifteen people. The next town was about five miles to the east and had thirteen inhabitants. His nearest neighbor lived two miles up the road. Obviously, there weren't many eligible girls to pick from in the community, and, with his shortcomings, Rory wasn't a great prospect anyway. Although good-looking, he was rather shy and kind of a loner, usually avoiding parties and events. When he did attend social gatherings— Rory would generally sit way in the back and hope that no one noticed him. In addition to being shy, Rory did not have a good command of the English language. His writing was adequate, but his speech suffered from an occasional stutter and, often, poor choice of words to express his meaning. Sometimes he would try to compliment someone and unintentionally insult them, a problem that persisted into adulthood. He didn't go to college. Sadly, his parents were killed in an automobile accident, and although nothing could make up for the pain of their loss, at least the insurance was some consolation. Fortunately, Rory was good with his hands and became a respected community mechanic and farmer. Not having a woman or children to support allowed him to save a lot of money, which he was able to use to buy a piece of land, support himself, and run his new ranch. Rory's relatives all lived nearby. Not only did they care for each other, but they also helped and looked after others in the family. For example, Rory kept generators and other farm equipment in his barn and almost twenty acres of stacked alfalfa hay, which family members were welcome to use whenever the need arose, as he was free to use their equipment. The previous four winters had been mild, and additional feed hadn't been required so, besides the alfalfa, Rory also had several ensilage pits completely full, and had to dig two more that year. The days were lonely, running a ranch on your own, so Rory would go to Denver. Once or twice a month, He'd found a motel that had an abundance of working girls who would supplement their annual income by performing favors for needy men. One of these lovely ladies removed Rory's virginity at twenty years old, others made sure it didn't return. Despite his liking for Denver, Rory didn't spend much time there, because his ranch was home, even if he had no one to share it with. Well, that wasn't exactly true. For a time, Rory did have company. He thought himself quite fortunate to meet a lovely girl called Tina. Tina was originally from Kansas. They met at a livestock auction and fell in love. She was quite principled and strong-willed, refusing to stay at the ranch until Rory had built a nice house for her. Being in love, he hired an architect who developed ideas for a range of ranch houses from simple to huge. Rory would have been happy with something plain and functional, but Tina had her heart set on an embarrassing monstrosity, so that's what they built, of course. She was an old-fashioned girl, initially wanting to wait for marriage before going all the way, 
but things got heated a couple of times and went farther than either of them intended. Tina came to Rory one day and told him that she might be pregnant. Rory was happy and wanted to take her to the nearest church and get married straight away. Before tying the knot, they went to the local doctor seeking tests to confirm the pregnancy. They became confused and concerned when he directed them to the nearest hospital for more tests. When the test results came back, it was really bad news. Not only was Tina not pregnant, she had a mass in her uterus. Tina had stage 4 uterine cancer and died in Rory's arms less than three weeks after the diagnosis. Rory was devastated at losing his mate and could not contemplate risking his heart by getting involved with someone new and allowing himself to become vulnerable again. Life went on before fate intervened. Chapter 2. The Storm He was twenty-eight years old when the first major storm in decades hit eastern Colorado. He never experienced as much snow or the problems caused by such a storm. Rory woke to no power, but he was well prepared with a diesel generator to supply his household needs. After firing up the generator, Rory had light and heat, so he was able to fix breakfast and complete his normal morning routines. After eating, he headed outside to prepare the tractor for the day ahead. In expectation of the storm, he'd fitted a blade to the tractor two days previously, so he was able to grade a path through the snow to the cattle which had to be fed and watered. After feeding the cattle, he began clearing snow from the dirt road running past his farm, which was really a state responsibility. However, after taking care of the main roads, there was little time left for the needs of country folk. Rory was making good progress when he noticed a bump ahead in the snow, which was about to change his life. He maneuvered the blade as close to the bump as possible not knowing whether it was a cow or something else. As his blade passed close to the bump, snow fell from the side of a small white car. He saw the face of a little girl, with her eyes closed through the window glass. Taking a deep breath, he stopped the tractor and climbed out. He ran back to the car and quickly cleared the rest of the snow off the side windows. With trepidation, he saw two people inside the car. Rory realized that. If the car was running while covered in snow, then the two inhabitants might be dead from carbon monoxide poisoning. Rory opened the car door and exhaled with relief when he saw the little girl open her eyes. He dropped his head and just started saying, Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Hey, are you okay? He asked the little girl. I am Rory. Is this your mom? She didn't answer. He waited a few breaths before asking, What's your name? She held up four fingers. He smiled at her and asked, You are four? She nodded her head. With a big smile, he said, Glad to meet you, four. I'm Rory. He held out his hand to her, but she didn't take it. Four, I have to get you and your mom out of the car and into the tractor. From there, I'm going to take you somewhere so you can get some food and rest. I will come back and get your car after I have you two settled in. Is that okay? Four stared at him for what seemed like a long time. Rory was about to try again when she finally spoke. Mommy's very tired. She needs to sleep. Rory smiled and said, I have a nice soft bed for her to rest on, but we need to get her somewhere warm and safe. Okay? She nodded. It took some effort to move the little girl and her unconscious mother out of the car and into the tractor. Somehow, Rory managed to get them both on board, then slowly turned the tractor around and headed back to the house. Once at home, he carried each person from the tractor and into the house. The huge house that he had built for Tina essentially contained two master bedrooms. He had never lived in the house, but had it furnished and kept it stocked with groceries and supplies just in case he needed to use it someday. Rory carried the unconscious woman, with the four-year-old following behind, and went directly to the second master bedroom, 
which contained a king-size bed already made up for guests, not that he was expecting any point for and her mother were his first guests ever. Rory stripped the mother to her underwear, thinking that she would sleep more comfortably that way, positioned her between the sheets and tucked her in, turning on the electric blanket. The girl kissed her sleeping mother, then Rory led her to the dining area and offered to fix her something. He cooked a couple of pancakes and some bacon, then served her at the table with juice. Four started eating like she hadn't been fed for a week. Rory told Four that he would give her mother something to drink to avoid dehydration. He took some juice and water to the woman, who was only half awake and, with some effort, got her to drink about a half glass of each. He called it a success and returned to the daughter. Hey Four, your mom is doing well. She drank some of the water and juice. Four looked relieved. Chapter 3 Rory Four and Chores so, do you feel like helping me with the chores or would you rather stay here with your mom? Rory had 147 head of cattle to feed and water, to keep them healthy during the severe weather conditions. What if mommy wakes up? She asked with concern. I will leave her a note so that she will know where we are, and what we are doing, and when we will be back. Would that be good? She thought for a while before answering. I will go with you if you want me to. The fact that she was willing to trust him brought a smile to Rory's face. Let's make a note for your mom, and then we'll get out of here. It didn't take long to find the cattle. He had them all in one field where he was feeding them corn stalks. But now that the snow covered the stalks, there would be no more feed. Rory had already loaded hay and a water tank onto a four-axle wagon, which he pulled with the tractor. Once they reached the field, Rory unbelted the hay and dropped the bales. The cattle were soon all over it. He deposited a stock tank not far from the feed then ran a two-inch hose from the tank on the trailer to the stock tank. Next, Rory had four help him turn the valve to fill it. She was full of questions, as four-year-olds tend to be. Do the cows have names? She asked. We don't usually name our livestock out here, four. There are almost a hundred fifty head here, and even if they had names, I wouldn't be able to remember them. She looked sad. If you have a favorite, you can name her. He added. She looked around. What about that gray one? Can I name it? She asked excitedly. That critter there is a mean old cow. She is one of the most protective of her calf. She is a full-bred Brahma. From the look on Four's face while he was talking, she absorbed his every word. Her trust and seeming adoration was starting to melt his heart. Is it a girl or a boy? She asked. All of these here are girls. Did you know that a cow is a bovine that has had a baby, called a calf? Remembering that he was talking to a four-year-old, Rory further explained. So all cows are girls. Boy cattle are called steers or bulls. She looked at him with amazement in her eyes. I am going to name her Gray, she said. I think she is my favorite. She reminds me of Mommy. Oh, he prompted. Yeah. Mommy is protective of me too. She never let Pitt touch me the whole time we lived with him. Concerned, but not wanting to alarm her, Rory gently asked. Was he your dad or stepdad? No. He was Mommy's boyfriend, but I hated him. He was really mean to Mommy and I didn't like it. Is that why you left? Rory asked. I don't know. I just woke up in the car and Mama was driving. He nodded his head. It sounds like it was a good thing you got out. Your Mama sounds like a good Mama, just like Old Gray over there. Four responded with a brilliant smile. Rory had no way of knowing that was her first smile in over a year. After reloading hay for the evening feeding... They pulled the tractor to the wellhead, hooked it up and refilled the water tank. Rory disconnected the hoses and left the tractor, 
They returned to the house and Four immediately went to her mother's room. Rory poured more juice and water before joining them. He knocked, then entered the room, and was gladdened to see Four snuggled against her mother. Point Four held her finger to her mouth, indicating that Rory should keep quiet. SSSHHH, she's still sleeping. Rory whispered, She has to drink the juice and water, or she might dehydrate. We can't have your mama getting sick now, can we? He could see her thinking. Okay. She said a few seconds later. Rory put the glasses down on the bedside table and helped the woman to sit up, being careful to keep her covered. She was barely conscious, slurring that she just wanted to sleep. Come on now. Just drink this, and then you can go back to sleep. She kept complaining, which was expected, but she drank the water and some vitamin-enriched juice. Rory was concerned by her pale complexion, but she finished the drinks, and he laid her back down and adjusted the covers point four immediately snuggled up to her mother again. He put his hand on four's shoulder to get her attention, causing her to jump in fright and let out a gasp. Realizing that he had shocked her, Rory immediately stepped back with his hands raised in a surrender gesture. I'm sorry, Four. Four took a breath and then timidly smiled. That's okay. She might be okay now, he thought, but he had seen a look of terror on her face. Clearly, something was wrong, and he was determined to understand her reaction. After a few moments, Rory's common sense kicked in, and he guessed the underlying issue. For it's okay, baby, no one, and I do mean no one, will ever hurt you in these parts. If I'm not here to protect you, I will have someone else here in my place. Four's face filled with relief and gratitude. I will make us some dinner. You can stay here with your mom, or you can help me if you want. For kissed her mother and slowly moved off the bed. Rory could tell that it wasn't an easy decision for her to make, but the desire to be needed outweighed her desire to stay with her mother. It was quite touching. Rory took some cooked chicken out of the fridge and started to cut it up. Pointing to the cabinet, he asked for if she would get him something to hold the chicken pieces. She brought him a small bowl. He smiled and showed her how much chicken he was cutting up which prompted her to swap the small bowl for one of a more appropriate size point four then pulled out the mayonnaise and pickles. She got a spoon and scooped out the mayonnaise, while Rory sliced the pickles for her to add to the chicken. Four selected some onions from the bin, and then some celery. Rory peeled the onions and cut them up along with the celery. He did all the cutting, but Four did all the mixing and finally, they had enough for several chicken and salad sandwiches. Four, he said, she looked at him. This is the best chicken sandwich I have ever eaten. The young girl giggled and smiled brightly. After finishing dinner and cleaning up, Rory told Four that they needed to feed her mother a sandwich, so they took the food to the bedroom. Again, Rory helped the woman to sit upright then tried to feed her the sandwich. She ate two bites and drank another glass of water, which made him happy. Four, would you like to help me feed the chickens? I have to feed them, gather their eggs, and feed the pigs. Her eyes grew huge. You have chickens and pigs? Rory didn't tell her that the eggs and bacon came from these farm animals. They went outside to a small shed, where buckets and feed for the animals were stored. He selected a five-gallon bucket for himself, and a similarly shaped one-gallon bucket for four. Rory filled her bucket with chicken feed and his bucket with a combination of ground corn, soy, pinto and some more chicken feed. Point four proudly carried her bucket like a big girl over to the chicken coop. Inside the coop Rory spread the feed from his bucket in the trough where the chickens immediately gathered and started pecking at it. He told Four that her feed was the most important, even though there wasn't as much, so she had to spread it over the top. She carefully completed the task, distributing the feed across the trough. The chickens were blocking her, and she laughed, 
and patiently worked her way around them. She chuckled when they tried to feed right out of her bucket. She even started to pet a couple of them as they became more friendly. It was the best entertainment that Rory had witnessed for some time. Next, they used Four's bucket to collect the eggs. Rory allowed Four to gather most of them. They took the eggs inside, washed the shells off for looks, put them in containers, and stacked the containers in the washroom refrigerator. He thanked Four for her help. Are you ready to feed the hogs now? He asked. They loaded up with the same types of feed, but this time Rory carried two five-gallon buckets, while Four still had her one-gallon bucket. Mr. Rory, you need to get me another bucket so we can carry the same amount. She reasoned sincerely. Rory had to explain that there were no more buckets of that size. He felt terrible about disappointing her. He had never experienced that sort of feeling for anyone before. Rory fetched a small bale of alfalfa, cutting the wire, and showing Four how to separate and throw it over the fencing for the hogs to eat, in addition to the grain. After feeding the animals, they drove the tractor and trailer down the road to the broken-down car. Rory winched the car onto the trailer, then they returned to the farm, where Rory backed the trailer into the Quonset hut. Rory went to retrieve their suitcases from the car, but found no luggage at all. Where were you living? he asked for. We lived by Chicago, she replied. That is a nice place to live. Rory commented that he was surprised. It was at least a two-day drive, without stops, from Chicago to his Colorado farm. To make a drive like that without baggage was crazy. Something was not right. Chapter 4 Evidence of Domestic Abuse Four's mother was still asleep, and there was still plenty of daylight, so Rory drove the young girl thirty miles to a clothing shop in Flagler. He had four select some tops, pants, socks, and undies. Guessing her mother's size, and hoping for the best, Rory bought a nice robe for the woman. At least, he reasoned, she would be covered until she was well enough to choose her own clothing. Next stop was a grocery store, where Rory had four pick out some items. When they got to the candy aisle, he was surprised by Four's lack of interest. She kept her eyes down, facing forward and not looking at anything. Rory thought that was unusual behavior for a four-year-old child, who would normally be excited by candy. He started to become angry that Four should have become conditioned this way. He stopped mid-aisle and said, Four, please pick something from here. He watched her shake as she picked some Hershey's chocolate bars and a Snickers bar. She fearfully held them up to him, almost as if she expected to be smacked. Rory was nearly moved to tears. You can have more if you like. She put them in the cart and said, with a tremulous voice, This is all I want. When they arrived home, it was apparent that Four's mother had been out of bed to use the bathroom, but was now back in bed. After rousing her a little, Four and Rory fed the woman some more juice and water. After making her comfortable once more, Rory took Four into the family room, turned on the television, and showed her his collection of DVDs. She picked out Despicable Me, which they watched together until Four started getting tired, and Rory tucked her into bed with her mother. The following day proceeded in a similar manner to the first. Four helped with chores and kept Rory smiling all day. He felt like God had looked down and granted him instant happiness. As they were driving the tractor and trailer to feed the cattle, Rory stopped to speak to his cousin Mel, who was passing down the road. Mel told Rory that he and his wife Deb were doing well, and thanked Rory for the generator he'd let him borrow. Rory smiled and introduced Mel to Four. Rory told Mel that he had picked up a couple of strays from their broken-down car in a snow drift, and joked that he was thinking about keeping this one dot. She's sort of cute and has been a big help with the chores. If her mom can cook, I might not ever let them go. Mel quipped. 
Deb can help her learn to cook if necessary. Mel and Rory had become good friends in recent times. Mel was his first cousin, and they had helped each other out of some tough scrapes. Before parting, Rory mentioned his concerns about the health of Four's mother. The third day began in similar fashion, but word gets around quickly in a small community, and the farmhouse received an unsolicited visit from the local doctor, Dr. Smith, who wanted to check on Four's mother. He examined her and concluded, as Rory had, that she needed some good nutrition and bed rest. He provided some multivitamins to supplement the juice and vitamins that Rory had provided. Dr. Smith noted bruising on the woman's arms, back, and on the back of her neck. Next, he took a quick look at Four and saw similar bruising on her. Rory nodded and told him that he had previously noticed some of the bruising. He also related the grocery store candy aisle experience. Dr. Smith agreed with Rory that the mother and daughter had, probably, escaped from an abusive domestic relationship. I am supposed to call this in, he said. No, don't do that just yet. Nothing is going to happen to either one of them today, or any day, while they are under my protection. What if they don't want that? If Four's mother tells me that she wants to leave, I won't force her to stay. Dr. Smith agreed and told Rory he would delay reporting their situation to the state, providing that he was kept informed. Rory told him to visit as often as he wished, and promised to let the good doctor know if something changed. Chapter 5 Sarah Recovers The morning after the doctor's visit, Sarah woke up, finally aware that she was in an unfamiliar place. The morning sun filtered through the bedroom windows, and she realized that she was lying in a king-sized bed with her daughter sleeping peacefully beside her. Sarah could hear kitchen noises from beyond the closed bedroom door. She climbed out of bed, only to realize that she was naked. Sarah looked around and found a robe, with her freshly laundered panties and bra on top. Assuming that the robe was for her, Sarah donned the underwear and robe. Apprehensively, she walked to the bedroom door, turned the handle, opened the door, and followed the illuminated hallway to a dining room and kitchen. As Sarah approached the kitchen noises and aromas, she heard a man's voice say, Good morning, Four. Sarah wondered for a moment who this Four was, feeling very self-conscious. The male voice changed its tone as the man turned to see Sarah, and she saw him smile and say, Good morning. Morning, she returned. Would you like some coffee or maybe some juice? He asked. I would love some coffee, please. The man rose to fetch some coffee, while Sarah sat at the table still feeling weak. Since leaving Chicago, Sarah remembered she had driven nonstop, except to buy gas, for over 48 hours. She had no idea how long she'd been recovering in bed, but was having a hard time just standing. Cream or sugar? The man asked. Both, please. She replied that he brought her a cup of hot coffee and a mason jar of cream. There was also a small sugar container with a spoon. The man took a seat opposite her at the table. Sarah was impressed with his efficiency and style. It was almost as if he worked in hospitality. Opening the mason jar, she noticed that the cream was thicker than the cream she was used to having. Unsure, Sarah cautiously sniffed it and realized that it smelled really good. It's fresh cream, explained the man with the deep voice, noting her puzzlement. It was fresh from the cow yesterday. Out of a cow? Sarah thought, but wisely kept her mouth shut. She'd momentarily forgotten that cream came from a cow and not a supermarket refrigerator. Is it supposed to be this thick? Yes, it's a real dairy product. It is hand-skimmed and never pasteurized. It is a lot healthier than what you would ever find in a store. Sarah took a spoon, added some cream to her cup and stirred it. Tasting her coffee before adding sugar, she decided that no extra sweetening was needed. 
She smiled at her new friend. Thank you for the coffee. You're welcome. By the way, your daughter has been helping with all the chores around here. To be honest, I have no idea how on earth I ever got them done before she arrived. Perhaps he was laying it on a bit thick but, ever since meeting four, Rory had faced each day with a smile and purpose, rather than just going through the motions, as he had since Tina died. Sarah smiled at that. How long have we been here? Four days, counting today. I found you two in a snowbank by a ditch. I got you out and into the house. I've garaged your car in the Quonset hut. We'll take it to Denver for repairs soon as the roads clear up. Thank you for the robe. She said unexpectedly dot he smiled and replied. No problem. Didn't think you would like to make an appearance in your birthday suit. Speaking of that, how did I get naked? That was me, but you have nothing to worry about, I didn't look. He paused. Too much anyway. She giggled. Honey, you were out of it, and I didn't take advantage. Somnophilia isn't my idea of a good time. He continued. You have a beautiful daughter who has stolen my heart. I confess that I'm really hung up on four. I want to date her, and my intentions are most honorable. Marriage is in the picture. He joked. The young girl's mother threw her head back and laughed uproariously. It took her a long time to settle down. Well, since you might be my mother-in-law one day, I had better introduce myself. I'm Rory. She chuckled again and said, Pleased to meet you, Rory. My name is Sarah. Sarah Brown. Just then, Four came out of the room rubbing sleep from her eyes. Rory looked at her. Hey, Four, guess who decided to grace us with her presence for breakfast? Mama. She cried. Obviously happy to see her mother was feeling better, For ran to Sarah, jumped onto her lap, kissed her, and hugged her tightly. Rory found the sight heartwarming. After a few moments, Four climbed down and accompanied Rory to the kitchen to help prepare breakfast. Sarah watched her new friend and her daughter fix breakfast. She was amazed at how Rebecca and Rory coordinated their efforts. She thought that Rory must have the patience of a saint, as he let Rebecca add the ingredients, then stirred the pancake mix. Pancakes, sausage, and juice were the menu items for the morning. He wouldn't let her do anything unsafe, but Sarah could see there was a bond building between them. In direct contrast, her ex had no relationship with his daughter. He even denied that she was his child and treated her badly. Seeing this man react with her daughter melted Sarah's heart. She had wanted so badly to see Rebecca bond like that with her biological father. They had set the table and were ready to eat in less than twenty minutes. You keep calling Rebecca for? Sarah queried. To me, her name is Four since that's how she introduced herself. She is four years old, but her name is Rebecca or Becky. Sorry, but I'm used to calling her Four. Rory calmly insisted. Sarah shrugged, willing to concede for the moment. Well, Sarah, we need to clean the dishes and get the chores done. After that, we need to get you to town to find some clothes for you. I would have bought you something more appropriate, but I didn't know your size. I noticed that you didn't have luggage. Sarah began to panic and stuttered. N-N-O, W-W-W-E-R-A-R, G-G-Good, hey. Rory soothed, looking at her with what he hoped was a pleasant smile. We can talk more about this at supper time. You all can't go anywhere for a few days anyway. Not until I get your car fixed. So relax and make yourself at home. Sarah looked resigned to her fate, as if her life was suddenly spiraling out of control. He felt sorry for her. She allowed Rory to take Rebecca out for the day to do the farm chores, not really knowing what they entailed but watching them together that morning. Sarah could easily see that Rebecca would be safe with Rory. Sarah felt much better after her three-day sleep so, while they were gone, 
she found the cleaning supplies under the sink and in the kitchen closet, and cleaned the house as if it were her own. She was pleased with the results. As she cleaned, Sarah could not find where Rory slept, despite looking in all the rooms downstairs. There was a nice spiral staircase in the front room, winding its way to a loft upstairs, and she figured that he must sleep up there. Sarah didn't want to invade his privacy, so she avoided going upstairs. Next, Sarah started fixing them all some lunch. She was amazed how well-stocked his house was, despite there being no signs of another woman anywhere around. Sarah figured he must be single. Chapter 6. Sarah's Story After Sarah had finished preparing the meal, she had time to reflect on how she came to be in Colorado. She was thankful that Rory had cleaned and folded the clothes they were wearing when they left Chicago. Sarah had taken no time to pack or bring anything but some money that a good girlfriend had collected for them. It wasn't a lot, but she was grateful that it was enough for Rebecca and her to get out of Illinois. The snow started when they were driving through Kansas. They had kept to back roads, rather than interstate highways, to limit his ability to find them. Sarah was traveling on Route 34, barely able to see the road due to the blizzard conditions, when she decided to turn onto a side road in the hopes of finding somewhere to park for the night. She had decided not to stay in highway rest areas, since cops sometimes checked on cars that were parked in those. Sarah had been exhausted, and unable to see much, when they drove down a minor road. Then the car stalled and would not restart. She remembered crawling into the back seat and holding Rebecca tight, thinking that they could die from hypothermia. All Sarah could think of doing was to pray. Please God, give Rebecca a good life. Recent events seemed to tell her that her prayer had been answered. Rory and Rebecca were gone for just over three hours. When they returned, Rory immediately noticed how clean and tidy the house appeared. Sarah had cleaned the kitchen until it sparkled. Rebecca rushed to her mother and greeted her with a big hug. Sarah saw that Rebecca was full of life, full of energy, and smiling from ear to ear. She couldn't remember Rebecca smiling in over a year. In fact, Sarah doubted that she had smiled much herself. As they embraced, Rebecca started to tell Sarah about her day. She told her about Gray, the cow, and how she was a purebred Burman, close enough, and the most protective cow there was, just like her mama was the best mama too. Rory laughed as Rebecca started talking about the chickens, and he discovered that she had started naming them. Rebecca's recount of the three hours of chores took almost fifteen minutes to share with her mother. As he watched their interaction, Rory realized how much he would miss them when they left. He was already in love with Rebecca, and Sarah was just as sweet as her daughter. He did not want them to leave, and suspected that was the reason he hadn't yet arranged for their car to be repaired in Denver. That night, while Rebecca was watching a DVD in the family room, Rory sat chatting with Sarah in the dining room. He wanted to do something to help them through their difficult time, but felt awkward making the offer, in case he offended Sarah. They sat for a while before Sarah started. I suppose I owe you an explanation. You don't owe me anything. I didn't take you two in for any other reason than because you needed it. Sarah ignored his statement and continued. It's one of those things that I never thought could happen to me. Find a guy, move in with him, he becomes abusive and starts beating me. Then I got pregnant and it got worse. I have no idea how Rebecca and I survived the pregnancy. She took some time to compose herself before adding. After I delivered Rebecca, he became a real asshole. He claimed that she wasn't his, and his abuse intensified. I tried to get away from him three times. The first two attempts, I didn't even get out of Illinois. He's a cop and he used his position to keep me from getting away. I don't know exactly how, but this time I made it out. I guess I was just lucky. 
As they continued to chat, Sarah told Rory that she had never married her ex, and that Rebecca's last name was the same as Sarah's, Brown. Her ex had refused to acknowledge Rebecca as his daughter. Sarah was college-educated in business and accounting, and had worked a long time with a Chicago firm. She tried to leave her ex after she got a good job, but was fired when her ex had the workplace raided. Rory asked her if she would mind doing his books, as he didn't keep up with them very well, and she eagerly agreed. Sarah said that she unsuccessfully tried to run twice more. The last time, he beat her for almost twelve hours, and threatened to beat Rebecca if Sarah tried to escape again. Several weeks later, with some help from friends, Sarah finally managed to escape her attacker. Friends who were aware of Sarah's predicament organized the collection, providing her with enough money to make her escape, and her best girlfriend loaned Sarah a car. She was instructed not to call or notify any of her friends, once she'd left, because the no-good son of a bitch had a wide network and would, no doubt, discover her location. A couple of days into her escape, fate stepped in, causing her to turn down a minor road and break down less than a half mile from Rory's farmhouse. She finished her traumatic tale and looked at Rory, with worry etched on her face. Please don't call the cops. I will do whatever you ask, and get out of here as soon as possible. Please don't call the cops she begged. No one will call the law. You can stay here as long as you like. Rory waited for that to sink in, while Sarah looked unconvinced. You are safe here, he emphasized. No one will raise a hand, to either you or four. You're both under my protection, and people around here won't ever let anyone hurt one of their own. You're a lot safer than you realize. She looked at Rory for a moment before she got up and hugged him. Thank you. I don't know if you have ever been around farming country but everybody knows everybody else in these parts. No one comes or goes without everyone knowing where they are going and what they are doing when they are there. He looked at her with a smile. Do you remember the doctor that came and checked out you and four? Even he promised to keep quiet, as long as you didn't get any worse. Rory looked at her. I never called him. He just showed up. That's how it works around here. There are a lot of good people. No one, and I mean no one, will ever harm you. He tried to reassure her, wanting her to relax, and know that she and Rebecca were safe. She smiled at him. What did the doctor say? She asked that he couldn't lie. He was concerned about the bruises on your back and neck. He looked at Four and saw some bruising on her too. Her eyes grew larger, and Rory thought that she was panicking. He won't tell anyone about it. He'd misread her look, because she immediately called to Rebecca. Rebecca! She called out. Rebecca! Rebecca came out of the family room, where she'd been watching another of Rory's DVDs. Sarah started to remove Rebecca's shirt. Where? She asked Rory. Right side, by her ribs. He answered. Sarah looked at Rebecca, and Rory could hear sobs in her voice, as she asked. Rebecca? When did this happen? The day we left Mama. Pitt did it, just before he put me to bed. Then I woke up with you in the car. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. She gasped, with her voice breaking. Rebecca wrapped her arms around Sarah. It's okay, Mommy. I'm okay. We're gone now. He can't hurt us anymore. Mr. Rory said that he would shoot him with his gun if he tried. Sarah looked at Rory, mouthed thank you, and smiled. Chapter 7 Living Together on the Farm Sarah was a dynamo around the house, scrupulously cleaning, cooking all the meals, tidying, and making the beds. Rory appreciated all her efforts, as he was unaccustomed to living in the large house. For the previous three years Rory had slept, and virtually lived, in the travel trailer next to his workshop. 
After rescuing Rebecca and Sarah, he moved his clothing and toiletries into the upstairs loft, which Tina and Rory had built, thinking it would make a nice bedroom. Eventually, Rory needed to make a day trip to Denver to purchase some items for the farm, and decided to take Rebecca. He invited Sarah to accompany them, but she declined doubt IT would have been a good opportunity to have Sarah's car repaired, but Rory found an excuse not to take it with them. I don't want to take four in the truck while pulling your car, he reasoned. Rory was both surprised and relieved when Sarah didn't argue doubt he was terrified that Sarah and Rebecca might leave when their car was drivable. Rory hoped that Sarah would stay permanently and worried that, if they left, the pain of losing them would be at least as bad as when Tina died in his arms three years past that I in Denver. Rory took Rebecca sightseeing, visited a park, and window shopped some department stores, trying to give her an enjoyable time. They finished at a great Mexican food restaurant for lunch, before heading back to the farm. While Rory and Rebecca were in Denver, Sarah had an unexpected visit from Deb, the wife of Rory's cousin, Mel. Deb had more decorum than most locals, and knocked at the door, instead of just walking into the house. Sarah recognized Deb, as they had met when Deb dropped by, to trade some milk for eggs the week before, so she invited her inside. Deb asked whether they could share a cup of coffee and have a chat. Sarah made the coffee, apologizing that all Rory had was decaf. Deb laughed at that, recalling that Rory reacted badly to caffeine. I can't remember when I have been as happy to see someone move here as I am with you. Deb began the conversation. What's Four's real name? Sarah laughed. Rebecca or Becky? Rory has taken a real shine to her. I can't seem to separate them at all. She loves him so much, despite having only just met him. I've never seen Rebecca take to someone that fast. Oh, I'm not surprised. Rory's been that way for a long time. You should see him with my kids, not to mention his other cousin, Lynn's girls. They seem to cling to him. Whenever Rory attends a community event, every little kid around the place winds up on his lap or in his arms. It is something to see. Deb's eyes started to become moist with tears. We were all hoping that Tina would give him some of his own kids. Her passing was such a painful loss for us, and especially Rory. Tina? Sarah asked. Deb gave Sarah a companionable smile and said, she was the only girl that Rory really dated. Tina and Rory clearly loved each other, and anyone could tell that they were meant to be together. They were only a few months from getting married when she thought she had become pregnant. Deb smiled at the memory, but then frowned as she added. It turned out she had a mass in her uterus the size of a grapefruit. It was stage 4 cancer. She only lasted a few weeks. Rory was at her side the whole time. She died in his arms. Deb pointed out the window to the small travel trailers that were set up behind the workshop. That's where Rory has lived for the last three years. After Tina, he never stepped foot inside this house until he dug you two out of the snow. We, all of us around here, were getting worried about him. Rory's a good man and an important person in these parts. We all would be running out of feed about now if not for Rory. Sarah impressed at hearing the glowing summary of Rory's qualities and how he was respected in the community. He sounded like a great guy, but she had thought her last partner was a good guy, until he became abusive. Sarah certainly liked Rory, but wasn't sure whether she could completely trust him. Sarah and Deb talked and laughed all day and, when it started getting late, Deb invited them all to join her family for dinner. Deb phoned Rebecca and Rory, while they were driving back from Denver, to ensure that they arrived at a decent hour. Before dinner, Deb's two kids went to play on their trampoline, along with Rory and Rebecca. As Sarah watched her daughter play with her new friends, she couldn't help but stare at Rory. He was very handsome, 
and the way he played with the children made her feel he was something extra special. Sarah didn't want to fall for a man that she was staying with, because she knew it was only temporary. She certainly didn't deserve the big house, the calming life, but Rebecca did. She deserved all that and more. Rory let all three of the kids crawl on top of him playing King of the Mountain, where Rory was the mountain. They jumped all over him. Sarah couldn't imagine how sore he was going to be after all the activities. It was almost two hours before Deb announced dinner was served. They all ate together, with Rory seated between Sarah and Rebecca. Rebecca was quite a chatterbox, telling her mother, as well as Deb's kids, all they did in Denver that day. Sarah couldn't believe how outspoken Rebecca was since she had always been quiet at home in Chicago. After a lovely dinner and conversation, Sarah offered to drive home. My male ego would never allow a woman to drive me home. Rory said, with mock seriousness. Sarah looked at him, confused, as Rory handed her the keys to his pickup. Oh, handsome and a comedian, she thought. After they had piled into the pickup and were all properly belted in, Sarah started up and headed back to the farmhouse. The roads were well maintained, and Sarah had trouble believing that the entire fifteen miles from the Deb's house to the farmhouse were all on dirt roads. Once at the farmhouse, Rory and Sarah tucked a tired Rebecca into her bed. Sarah and Rory sat in the living room and chatted for a while. Sarah related some of the conversation she'd had with Deb and asked him about Tina. When she got sick, I felt so helpless. I wish that I could have done more to save her, he said. Now I feel guilty that she's dead. Her loss still hurts. She was something special, and I miss her, he finished, with tears in his eyes. Sometimes there is nothing that can be done, Rory. Sometimes bad things just happen. Sarah said with compassion. He nodded his head and changed the topic. Is there anything else I can do for you tonight? If you have no plans, I have something nice you might like try. Sarah looked at him. Sounds tempting. I have no other plans. Rory arose from the sofa and reached for Sarah's hand. She put her hand in his, and he helped her up. He led her to the spiral staircase, and they began to ascend. Sarah knew that he slept upstairs in the loft, but, not wanting to intrude, had never climbed the stairs. When they reached the top of the stairs, Sarah took a deep breath in appreciation. Half of the ceiling was made of windows. There was a king-size four-poster bed, which only occupied a small fraction of the large room. The room itself was almost half the size of the whole ground floor. There were two matching twelve-drawer dressers, two bedside tables and, at the foot of the bed, a cedar chest. Everything matched. Sarah was awestruck by the beautiful room. She would love a bedroom like this, she thought. There were two doors in the room, a large wooden door, and a glass door that led outside to a small covered landing. Still holding her hand, Rory paused for a moment to let Sarah catch her breath, then guided her to the glass door which led to an open bathroom area. Rory offered a spare bathing suit to Sarah, which she tentatively accepted. He selected a thick pair of trunks for himself, and told Sarah, You can change here. I will be right back. Wait. What's this? She asked. It's a bathing suit. If you don't like it, I can get you a thick t-shirt. A bathing suit? To swim in? But it's only thirty degrees outside. I'm not going swimming in the cold. Sarah protested. Rory smiled brightly and said, Trust me, you'll love it. He grabbed a long, thick, black t-shirt and handed it to her. We're going hot tubbing, not swimming. It'll be exhilarating. You'll see. Rory left Sarah and disappeared to change into the trunks, while Sarah changed into the t-shirt, feeling that the swimsuit might send the wrong signals. Are you decent? 
Rory asked before he came back in. Yes, I am. Rory opened the sliding glass doors, and then opened the steaming hot tub he had prepared a few hours earlier. Sarah felt cold air rush through, as Rory opened the door. Her nipples instantly hardened, and there were goose bumps all over her body. She was about to tell Rory that there was no way in hell she was going out there, when he came in and, unexpectedly, whisked her off her feet. A-W-W-W! She screamed as he lifted her, carried her to the hot tub, and began to walk into it, making small splashes as he went. No, no, please don't do this! Sarah begged, to no avail, as Rory started to lower her into the very warm water. She grabbed him tightly to delay the inevitable. The hot water was such a contrast to the cold surroundings that she found it surprisingly thrilling. He laid her down in the water, supporting her briefly, after he sat on one of the tub seats. The hot water made her feel very warm and comfortable. She started to stand, but the cold air shocked her, so she quickly slipped back under. Instead of the torture that she had expected, Sarah realized that the 102 degrees Fahrenheit water was like being wrapped in a warm blanket of heat while the 30 degrees Fahrenheit air slowly became a welcome cooling sensation. Rory couldn't stop smiling, as he watched Sarah enjoying her new experience. So, not quite what you expected? She looked impressed. I love it. I would have never guessed that it would feel so good. Oh my god, it is amazing. She looked at Rory. I'm not looking forward to getting out, though. We're going to freeze going back to the house. Rory smiled. No, your body will start to welcome the cold when we get out. The walk into the house will feel good. Even on your feet, believe it or not. Sarah did believe him. He had never lied to her. She discovered that she trusted Rory more than she had any other man in a long time. After about thirty minutes, they climbed out of the tub and went inside. Sarah smiled as she walked into the loft feeling good, as Rory had promised, even her feet on the cold floor. Rory got towels for each of them and they dried off. Considerately. Rory left Sarah so that she could change back into her clothes with privacy, while he changed into a robe. When finished, Sarah found Rory sitting on the bed waiting. What's in there? Sarah asked, pointing. Rory turned to see where she meant. That's the closet, he said, and started to walk to the closet door. He opened the door and motioned for her to enter, which she did hesitantly, catching her breath as she realized that the closet was the size of the bedroom. There were hanging rods all along the walls and three walls boasted dozens of nine-inch square slot storage space for shoes. Sarah smiled inwardly, thinking that this was the bedroom of her dreams. They went downstairs and checked on Rebecca, who was sound asleep in her mother's bed. Sarah noticed Rory gazing fondly at Rebecca, and smiled to herself. She went to him and took his arm. She is something, isn't she? Rory started to reply, but his voice cracked with emotion and he left the room. Sarah wanted to follow him, wrap him in her arms, and tried to comfort him. She wanted to find out what he was feeling, but she decided to let him have some space. Chapter 8 Sarah and Rory The next day followed the familiar daily farm routine. Chores came first, of course, which Rebecca and Rory completed in the morning, then ate a great lunch that Sarah cooked for them. The evening chores were followed by a dinner of sandwiches. Once again, Rebecca fell asleep early and Sarah and Rory put her to bed in her mother's room. A little while later, Rory told Sarah he was tired and went upstairs to bed. The house was quiet, as was the surrounding countryside at that time of night. So quiet that a coyote's howl could be heard for miles around. Rory laid in bed reading a story online. He could hear footsteps downstairs and was pleased that Sarah had started to feel at home. 
Then he heard the unmistakable creaking of someone walking up the spiral staircase. He waited, with nervous anticipation. Sarah topped the stairs and looked over at Rory. Nervously, she made her way to the bed before untying the robe and letting it fall to the floor. Next, she removed her bra and then slowly shimmied out of her panties. When Sarah was naked, she shyly smiled at Rory, then climbed onto the bed and crawled over to him. Rory was only wearing his boxers which Sarah lowered just enough to pull his cock out. She stroked his long cock a few times before putting it in her mouth. Sarah rarely gave head, in fact. Her ex would have to force her. However, she was happy to give that pleasure to Rory. She moved her lips over his cock and rolled her tongue over the head. Sarah could feel, and hear, his pleasure as she continued to stimulate his member. Her hand cupped his balls, and she played with his sensitive perineum. His moans were loud and excited as she continued to stimulate him. Having that effect on a man, Sarah felt more like a woman than she had in years. Rory had rescued her, made her feel safe, cared for her, and made her feel loved and wanted. He had complimented her housework and cooking, and made her want to do even better. She wanted to show her appreciation. Sarah decided to do something for Rory that she'd never willingly done for any man. When he told her that he was about to come, and tried to push her head away, she moaned out, Ah, and increased her effort. As he started to spasm, she kept to her pattern and just sucked harder. She felt satisfied when she felt his first rope of cum hit the back of her throat. Her ex had forced her to swallow his seed, but Sarah happily gave Rory this experience. The second rope shot down her throat and she tried to swallow, but the third rope overloaded her mouth and caused a little to escape her lips. When she felt that he was done, she pulled her mouth off him, looked him in the eyes, opened her mouth showing his cum on her tongue, then swallowed. It wasn't as bad as she had expected. Then she opened her mouth and smiled, showing him that she had completed the deed. Rory stared lovingly at Sarah's smiling face, before pulling her to him and kissing her deeply, his tongue dueling with hers. She returned his kisses with vigor, putting her hands around him and slowly stroking his back. Rory began to softly caress her body and kiss down her neck, feeling her surrender to his every touch, kiss, and move. Sarah laid back and enjoyed the experience as Rory made his way to her breasts and began to suckle her nipples. She moaned loudly as the feelings of excitement began to build. Rory cupped her left breast as he suckled on her right one, while Sarah held his head letting him know she was enjoying the attention. Rory's hands began to caress her side and down to her belly. Rory sensed Sarah's apprehension as he began to kiss down the valley of her breasts and onto her stomach, approaching the stretch marks that remained from her pregnancy. She subtly tried to stop him from going there, but he was determined to reassure Sarah that he appreciated her entire body and found her highly desirable. He kissed her the stretch marks on her belly. Rory's mouth finally found her pussy. He had no experience of pussy-eating since much of his sexual experience had been with prostitutes, and not only was he averse to putting his mouth where another man's penis had been recently, but the working girl's equipment often smelled bad which was a huge turn-off for him. However, Sarah's pussy was sweet-smelling. The aroma of her arousal lingered in the air, causing him to salivate. He found her opening and tasted her, reveling in her flavor. He found her button, causing her to gasp and shudder with pleasure. Rory started working Sarah's pleasure nub with his tongue, lips, and teeth. She became very loud, as more than one orgasm overwhelmed her body, each one stronger than the previous one. Rory finally stopped, fearing that Rebecca would awaken and become worried. Sarah shuddered as her orgasms subsided, and began to come down from her sexual high. You can sure please a girl Rory, she said, as Rory laid and relaxed beside her. 
Rory figured that was his cue that she was ready to receive him. He pulled off his boxers, enabling Sarah an even better view of his long, slender cock. She was excited, and a little nervous, never having had a cock of that size in her before. Rory positioned himself between her legs, mounted her, and pressed inside. As he slid into her tight love tunnel, she felt delicious sensations that no previous lover had produced. Finally he reached her cervix, before beginning to fuck her. Sarah's pussy had never been wetter and, even though Rory was only pumping her slowly, she felt an orgasm consume her, causing her to convulse, and scream in ecstasy, as it rippled through her. Sarah's screams, and the spasming of her pussy around his cock, tipped Rory over the edge, and he came hard. His powerful release caused him to collapse on top of her, and it took all his remaining energy to roll off. As he laid beside her, spent and helpless, she rolled to him and put her head on his chest. Rory wrapped his arms around her and held her tightly, as they both drifted off to sleep. Next morning Rory woke in bed alone, wondering if the previous night had been a dream. Momentarily, his former loneliness returned as he imagined that Sarah and Rebecca had left him. However, in a roller coaster of emotion, his heart soared as he heard the unmistakable sounds of breakfast being cooked. Rory leapt out of bed, got dressed quickly, then headed downstairs. He found Sarah in the kitchen cooking French toast and bacon, one of Rory's favorite meals. He snuck up behind her, as she was concentrating on the breakfast, whisking her off her feet from behind, and kissing the back of her neck. Sarah giggled like a little girl, as Rory set her back on the floor. Where is Four? Did she sleep okay? Did she hear us last night? Rory asked. Sarah's heart melted as she heard genuine concern in Rory's voice, and knew that he cared deeply for her daughter. She was amazed at her good fortune in meeting this wonderful man, who cared for her daughter almost as much as she did herself. She slept very well and didn't seem to wake at all. She's in the bedroom getting dressed. Seconds later the little girl came out of the room wearing one of her new outfits. When she saw her mother and Rory together, she smiled brightly and ran to Rory, as he opened his arms in invitation. A as soon as the morning chores had been completed, Rory took Sarah and Rebecca clothes shopping in Flagler. Sarah needed some dresses to extend her limited wardrobe and Rory was keen to see her wearing some nice clothing. The shops didn't stock Versace or Armani, but the clothing was fashionable and well-made. Sarah soon learned that, even if she merely showed interest in an item, Rory would add it to their shopping trolley. He spoiled Rebecca even more. Sarah began to feel guilty and tried to put some of the dresses and tops back on the racks, but Rory would follow behind and put them back into the shopping trolley. In the end, Rory bought Sarah three dresses, some jeans, a couple of tops, and a skirt, along with shoes, stockings, socks, and three bras. When the cashier totaled the sale, Sarah and Rebecca's articles cost almost $5,000. After Rory paid for the purchases, he told the owner of the store that he wished for Sarah and Rebecca to have an open account for future purchases there. The owner was pleased to oblige and said, Sure, just tell whoever is checking you out to charge it to Rory. Sarah was astounded. After the clothing store, Rory took the girls to a bookstore and several specialty shops. Sarah was reticent to indicate her interest in any item for fear that Rory would simply purchase it. As an experiment, Sarah pointed to a candle holder, in the shape of the ugliest ceramic fish she had ever seen, took Rory's arm and said, Isn't that darling? Rory looked horrified and didn't answer but that night, as Sarah was putting away all of the shopping spree bounty, she opened a bag containing the two fish-shaped candle holders. She laughed so hard that she cried and, unable to stand, rolled on the floor. Rebecca and Rory looked on with amusement as Sarah couldn't do anything but laugh while grasping the candle holders. 
Eventually she calmed down enough to explain the joke. That night Sarah wore some of the lingerie they had purchased that day. She didn't want to tease Rory. She wanted to entice him. As soon as Rebecca was asleep for the night, Sarah dropped her robe and displaced herself seductively for Rory. She wanted so much for him to take her to bed, but they never made the journey upstairs, getting no further than christening the couch and the love seat. Twice. The loft had become their room and Sarah was in heaven, finding herself falling in love with Rory. He was a great provider, an excellent lover and best of all, cared deeply for her daughter. It was clear from their heartwarming mutual glances that Sarah and Rory loved each other. Rory had never been happier. Rebecca and Rory were inseparable as they did chores, chatted, and played games. The monstrous house he had built for Tina started feeling like a home as Sarah worked on improving it. All Rebecca could talk about was her new uncle, Rory, and the adventures they had together on the farm. Each day felt like they had woken from the nightmare that their lives had become over the past four years, and Sarah felt her prayers had been answered when their car had broken down and they'd been rescued, not only from hypothermia, but also from their previous hellish life. Each day that she woke safe in Rory's arms, Sarah would kiss him softly, trying not to wake him, before she rose and fixed either French toast or pancakes for breakfast. She knew that Rory loved French toast but liked to give him some variety. When she woke from the bed in the other master bedroom, Rebecca would come and start chatting with Sarah while she prepared breakfast. Rebecca would always have stories about different animals that they fed or she was allowed to pet. Chapter 9. Chores for Everyone One morning, Sarah was about to go upstairs to fetch Rory when he came down with a pleasant smile on his face as was normal. She loved to see that smile and wished it was for her benefit, but knew it was meant for Rebecca. Of course, Rory insisted on calling her daughter for, but she had decided to accept it since Rebecca responded so well to the nickname. Sarah wondered what would happen when Rebecca turned five. During breakfast, Sarah said, Rory, would you mind if I went with you to do chores today? Although Rebecca regaled her with the daily exploits, Sarah wanted to see it for herself. Rory stared at her dubiously, while Rebecca jumped for joy and explained to Sarah how to do the chores. She told Sarah that she would show her how to feed the cattle the chickens, and the pigs too. When they had finished eating, all three helped to clean the kitchen before going outside to board the tractor and head for the cattle pasture, towing the trailer full of feed. As Rory opened the gate to enter the pasture, Rebecca informed her mother that they always had to make sure the gate was closed to prevent the cattle wandering out. When they had located the cattle, Rory put the tractor in its lowest gear, locked the steering wheel, and dismounted, while the tractor was slowly moving straight ahead. Sarah was aghast as Rory lifted Rebecca to sit at the wheel and drive the tractor slowly through the pasture. She tried to reassure her mother that she did this all the time, but Sarah wasn't convinced that it was safe. Sarah kept a close watch as Rebecca seemed to navigate the pasture, and soon realized that the tractor's steering was locked to maintain a straight line, so nothing that Rebecca could do at the wheel would change its direction. Rory climbed aboard the trailer, cut the baling wire, and started to kick off the round bales. Cattle grouped around the trailer as it passed and began to feed as soon as the bales hit the ground. There was still snow on the ground and it became quite messy, as the cattle and farm equipment churned the surface into mud. After unloading the feed, Rory jumped off the trailer, remounted the tractor and resumed control. He turned the tractor and drove to the stock tank, before applying the brake and shutting off the engine. They all dismounted. Then Rory laid out a hose to fill the stock tank from the big tank on the front of the trailer. As cattle made their way to the stock tank to drink some water. Rebecca pointed out different animals to her mother, stating the names she'd assigned to each. 
The one with the really brown face is Patches, the one over there with the white markings on her legs is Socks. The gray one over there is gray. Rory laughed to himself and shook his head in amazement as she named much of the herd for her mother. After the emptying the trailer, they went and reloaded it with more hay, then towed it to the wellhead and refilled the tank with water. Sarah was amazed at the way Rebecca and Rory worked so well together. After the three of them had replenished the trailer for the evening feeding, Rory drove them back to the farmhouse. They climbed down, and Sarah thought that the day was done but, to her surprise, Rebecca grabbed her hand and dragged her to the shed where Rory kept the chicken feed. They loaded the buckets and went to the coop. Rebecca had become good at feeding the chickens, and Sarah was amazed at how well she added her feed over the top of Rory's. Then they gathered the eggs. Next, it was time to feed the hogs. As usual, Rory carried his two five-gallon buckets of grain to the hog pens, and Rebecca carried her two one-gallon buckets. When the hogs had been fed, they all went into the house, kicked off their mud-covered shoes in the foyer, and hung their jackets. Being spattered with mud after completing their chores, all three took a quick shower. Rebecca and her mother went to their room and cleaned up, while Rory went upstairs to his room. Afterwards they all met in the kitchen, and Sarah fixed some lunch for them. What did you think of the morning chores? Rory asked. I think I'm going to let you and four, ah, Rebecca, do all the chores from now on, Sarah said. I'll stick to what I know best. Cooking and cleaning. Rory smiled and told her. So you won't help us with the evening feeding? Sarah stopped what she was doing, walked to Rory, wrapped her arms around him, held him tightly and kissed him softly. Rory deepened the kiss, grazing his tongue over her lips which she parted, allowing him to ravish her mouth. Very slowly he started to taste her tongue and enticed her to begin a tongue dance. She felt her body responding as Rory continued to kiss her and only broke the kiss when Rebecca called out from the dining room. Mom, what's for dinner? Sarah turned to see Rebecca watching them kissing. Blushing, Sarah calmly replied, Ah, uh, well, ah, uh, we, oh hell. Rory laughed, picked up Rebecca, tossed her in the air, and deftly caught her. He was in a great mood, thinking that Sarah might like him enough to stay permanently. Chapter 10 Party Time A few days later, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rory were dressing to attend a wedding in the township. They donned their Sunday best, dressed to impress. Rory had Sarah wear her nicest dress, with dancing shoes rather than stilettos, so her feet would be comfortable. Rebecca also wore a nice dress, however she had kid-sized cowboy boots on her feet, because she wanted to be just like Uncle Rory. Rory came downstairs in a fine suit and tie, and cowboy boots. Sarah noted that his clothing accentuated his flat stomach, strong arms, broad chest, and an ass to die for. She thought he looked hot, and it made her wet. She had to discipline herself not to drag him upstairs and have her way with him. Being a country wedding there was usually a lot of drinking, a lot of dancing, a lot of music, and, most of all, a lot fun. Rory had attended weddings in the past but since Tina's death, did not usually stay long, rarely danced with anyone and kept, mostly, to himself. Sure, he would make polite conversation with friends and relatives, but that was about it. When Sarah and Rebecca were ready, Rory offered them an arm each and led them to his pickup, which he had thoroughly cleaned the previous day. He wanted the girls to look their best and really enjoy the day, so he had even spread a truckload of limestone on the driveway in front of the house so their outfits would not get muddied walking to the pickup. After helping the two beautiful ladies into the pickup truck, he drove the five miles to the town park where the wedding reception was being held. As local custom decreed, regardless of who was getting married. The whole county showed up for the reception. 
A makeshift dance floor had been made by removing the net from the tennis court, and there was a band and a DJ. The live band started the entertainment by playing some Hank Williams Jr. songs. After all, country folks liked their country music. Rory looked at Sarah and said, Well, I would like to have the first dance with you if you don't mind. Sarah panicked, having never danced to anything but rock and roll. But I don't know how to dance to this. She pleaded. You will by the end of the night. Several couples had started dancing by then, and Rory said with a smile, Tell you what, Sarah, I will start with four while you watch, then I will be back to twirl you around a bit. Sarah nodded. Rory turned and took Rebecca's hand. Come on, little one, let's show Mama how to cut a rug. It was a simple two-step which Rebecca picked it up quickly, but they kept to the middle of the dance area because her legs were so small. Rory spun her around for two songs before they stopped, then went looking for Sarah. Sarah had watched Rory treat Rebecca like she was the finest pearl in the universe, and couldn't help loving him for it, and she knew Rebecca adored him. The pair returned to Sarah who was smiling happily at them, grabbing her hand, while not letting go of Rebecca's. Rory led them to an area where a group of younger children were watching the festivities. Mr. Rory. Most of the kids shouted in greeting. Rory high-fived several young men and briefly hugged several of the girls, before introducing Rebecca to them. Rory asked if, as a favor to him, they would allow Ford to join their group and see that she had a good time. The kids enthusiastically agreed, which was a measure of the respect they had for him. Rory kissed Rebecca's cheek, telling her that he was going to dance with her mom but would be back to see if she could squeeze him into her dance card a little later. Rebecca hugged him joyfully. As Rory made his way back to Sarah, the music changed to a slow song. There was obvious relief on her face when she realized that she wouldn't have to begin with an unfamiliar two-step. Rory wrapped her in his arms and drew her to him. The live band played Silver Wings and Sarah felt special and safe in his arms. Sarah was convinced, right then, that Rory would never purposely hurt either Rebecca or her. She thought that he would always protect them, but still worried that her ex, the cop, might hurt him. Sarah laid her head on Rory's shoulder and embraced him closely, while he slowly led her around the dance floor. Soon, the music changed tempo to something too fast to be a two-step. Rory bent down and asked, Do you know how to dance swing? Sarah shook her head with a shy smile. Have you ever seen or done the jitterbug? He tried. Sarah cocked her head and gave a slight nod. She had seen it performed several times but never danced to it. Rory pulled away from her, holding her hands at arm's length, and began to demonstrate. She watched closely, realizing that the steps were nothing major. In fact, she quickly picked up the ideas. Rory put her through her first underarm twirl. Sarah didn't know if it was her, or her dance partner's skill, but the move seemed to go smoothly. Rory guided her through more twirls, and even more complicated double twirls. Sarah felt like she was on top of the world. After two more songs, Sarah told Rory that she needed to check on Rebecca, and would be back in a moment. Meet me over here in between songs, Rory suggested, as she left to check on her daughter. Rory knew Rebecca was safe, as he had been keeping a watchful eye on her, even while Sarah and he were dancing. He knew that Rebecca had been dancing with several of her new friends. As he watched Sarah walk away from him to check on Rebecca, Rory felt a tap on his shoulder. He turned to see his good friend, and first cousin, Lynn. Rory smiled, held out his hand in invitation, which she accepted, and they began to dance a two-step. She is beautiful, Rory. Are you going to keep her? Lynn asked. Which one? I sort of want them both. But, he left his reply hanging. You know, the one you've been dancing with. Uh, Sarah, is it? Lynn asked. 
Yes, her name is Sarah, and her daughter's name is Four. I want them to stay, but I have no idea what Sarah wants. Dad told me that you're keeping her car in the barn so that she can't leave. Lynn joked. Rory laughed. It's not that flagrant. He lied. It was every bit that flagrant. I've just been really busy with chores. With all the snow, I have to feed the cattle every day. David is going to Denver the day after tomorrow. Why not let him take the car for repairs? Rory's heart almost stopped at that. Lynn was a schoolteacher and could read people very well. She knew that Rory didn't want the car repaired, but it had been almost three months, after all. If you want to know whether she loves you, set her free. If she comes back, she will be yours forever. If she doesn't, it really wasn't meant to be, Lynn stated philosophically. Rory felt his heart breaking and was trying to keep his eyes from misting up. Meanwhile, after seeing how much fun Rebecca was having with her new friends, Sarah walked back to meet Rory, only to find him dancing with a beautiful woman. Sarah thought the woman looked like a supermodel, skinny, big tits, a perfectly round ass, long blonde hair, and so on. Suddenly, Sarah was consumed by jealousy. She assumed an aggressive posture and glared at the perceived homewrecker, wanting to scratch her eyes out. Lynn stopped dancing, her attention drawn to something behind Rory, who turned to find Sarah staring menacingly at his cousin. Rory quickly analyzed the situation and said, Sarah, I'd like to introduce you to my first cousin, Lynn. Sarah looked embarrassed. Your cousin? Yeah. Rory confirmed. Shit, I just gave myself away, she thought. She recognized that she was in love with her cowboy, and now she thought that he must know it too. Lynn certainly knew it, judging by her welcome after Sarah shelved her skin the bitch attitude dot a little slower, due to his lack of emotional intelligence. Rory finally realized that Sarah had been jealous of him dancing with the beautiful Lynn. Feeling more confident, he began to think that Sarah might stay. Even if he did have her car repaired, the night continued with copious amounts of dancing, laughter, and conversation. Finally, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rory left the party smiling and happy. When they got back to the farmhouse, after putting Rebecca to bed, Sarah and Rory were both so exhausted that they could only fall into bed and sleep. Chapter 11 Rory Makes His Move The next morning, Sarah woke in Rory's arms. She decided to wake him by sucking his cock until he exploded into her mouth. Sarah knew that she was in love with Rory, and that there wasn't anything she wouldn't do for him. She wanted to stay on the farm with him. She wanted to make a life with Rory and Rebecca and, if Rory wanted two or three more children, to have them doubt he kissed her deeply and passionately, again, after she had swallowed his essence. She thought that it was weird the first time he did it, but now she realized that it was a bonding experience. They got up and completed their morning routines, then Sarah headed for the kitchen. There were some leftover baked potatoes, so Sarah fixed a big breakfast of home fried potatoes, eggs, and sausage, then called Rebecca and Rory to come and eat. As they all sat and began to eat their breakfast, Sarah thought about the love, respect, and trust that the three of them shared, and knew that she had never felt more like at peace. Next morning, Rory woke with a plan to solve one of Sarah's problems. He figured that his subconscious mind must have been busily processing information while he was sleeping. For the plan to work, Rory needed help, so he made some calls to explain his idea. First, Rory called David Cross, the husband of first cousin, Lynn. Next, he called Alan Weber, the local state trooper. After Alan, he called Marv, who was always looking for a hustle. After those conversations, Rory went downstairs with a smile and hope in his eyes. He figured it would take a week or two for the plan to come together. 
Of course, many things could go wrong, but at least he was certain that Rebecca and Sarah would be safe. Sarah was surprised when David arrived to take her car to Denver. Rory's plan, however, was to have the car repaired, although not in Denver. It would not be cheap, in fact, he could buy a similar car for less than it would cost to repair Sarah's car, but he needed that car. It took almost two weeks before it was ready. True to character, Marv tried to back out of his part of the plan, but relented when he heard that Rory had someone else in mind. Four days later he delivered Sarah's car, as instructed, along with a handwritten letter from Sarah to the owner of the car. True to character, Marv tried to back out of his part of the plan, but relented when he heard that Rory had someone else in mind. Four days later he delivered Sarah's car, as instructed, along with a handwritten letter from Sarah to the owner of the car. The handwritten letter was in a confusing way, telling the good friends that Sarah was safe happy and living on the Benson farm in Colorado, essentially leading her ex right to him. Cops are very well-trained people. They know how to plan. They know how to get what they want. They put their skills to work every day. Generally, cops are good people, but there are a few bad eggs, as there are in all work environments. One cop in Chicago, Rory knew, was a bully who had to be stopped. Otherwise, Sarah and Rebecca would never be able to stop looking over their shoulders wondering when their nightmare would reemerge. Marv spent three days in Chicago. He was told to brag about how Sarah and Rebecca were happy and living in Colorado to everyone that would listen before flying back to Denver. Rory collected him from the airport and had to listen to Marv bitch and complain about how the trip was a waste of time. With Marv's return, all the pieces of the plan were in place, and now Rory had to play the waiting game. With everything he had organized, Rory knew that they would all be safe, he just didn't know exactly when the confrontation would come. He didn't know that they would have warning, and that was enough. Chapter 12 The Confrontation The house phone went off at 10.30 on a Wednesday night. He just checked in. There is only one man, said the caller. Thank you, Rory said. He is a real asshole, just to let you know. So I've heard. Rory hung up. Sarah looked at him worriedly. Well? He's here, Rory said. Even in the darkened bedroom, Rory could sense Sarah's fear. He put his arms around her and brought her back down on the bed. Sarah moaned worriedly as she snuggled back under the covers. Both Sarah and Rebecca had slept in Rory's bedroom, for added protection, since the car went to the mechanic. As the sun rose above the golden cornfields, there was quiet movement around the Benson farm. More than a dozen men had arrived early and, without asking, filled their respective coffee cups from an oversized coffee urn that Rory had borrowed. When everyone had a beverage, they sat around the dining room table, mainly on folding chairs, quietly chatting. For safety, Deb and Lynn had taken Rebecca and Sarah to Deb's house, out of harm's way. The men didn't have long to wait before getting a phone call from a neighboring farmer's wife, warning that the ex's SUV had been seen rolling up the Vona Highway, when Rory saw the SUV moving down the highway he felt some pity for the driver. After all, he reasoned, the ex was just a man who fell in love with a woman, but he didn't know how to treat her, and now he had lost her forever. I in the time since the fateful snowstorm, the sun had melted the snow and dried the ground considerably. Rory could even see a trail of dust behind the SUV as it sped toward his farmhouse. Alan, the local state trooper, had warned Rory what to expect from a confrontation with the Chicago cop. Alan tried to persuade Rory to wear a bulletproof vest, but he refused. Rory knew all that he needed to know about the asshole who had just stopped his SUV just outside the farmhouse fence. The driver used a cop trick designed to be intimidating, by waiting in the car for some time, 
before opening the door and stepping out in his freshly cleaned and starched uniform. He brandished a document in his left hand, while keeping his right hand next to his holster. He started to walk towards Rory, who held up his hand to stop him. Far enough, he demanded. I have a warrant for Miss Sarah Brown, he said, stopping and holding up the paper. I need to take her, and her brat, into custody. Hearing Rebecca called a brat caused Rory's hackles to raise, and angered him enough that he irrationally began to advance on the cop, until his cousin Marv tackled him. Marv stood at six foot seven inches and weighed about three hundred and fifty pounds, so Rory didn't have much of a chance. The Chicago cop started to pull his pistol but, as he did so, the unmistakable sound of several pump-action shotguns chambering rounds sounded all around him. Sarah's ex turned white, as he realized he had been set up, and there was nothing he could do but surrender. Alan Weber, wearing his Colorado State Police uniform, approached the Chicago cop. He disarmed the man, and tossed the pistol and holster into the back of the cop's SUV. Then Alan helped the unfortunate man into a Colorado State-issued cruiser. Marv slid into the driver's seat of the SUV. Alan drove the cop to a section of Rory's cornfield, where several farmers with earth-moving equipment were waiting. They were followed by Marv in the SUV. As soon as Alan stopped his car, the farmers went to work. They dug a hole about ten feet deep and ten feet around using a track hoe. Then a bulldozer pushed the SUV into the hole and covered it with earth. Some smaller farm tractors then carefully raked over the ground so that, soon, there would be no evidence that anything was buried there. Alan held up a stopwatch he'd used to time the whole process, and told the fuckwit that it took less than 17 minutes, as the farmers took their equipment and moved off. To complete the process, Alan drove the Chicago cop to Goodland, Kansas and handed him a one-way bus ticket to Chicago. Alan let him know that he would be buried in the same hole as his SUV if he ever returned, before handing him a document to sign. Alan waited till he boarded the bus, and only then did he leave, with a big smile on his face. Chapter 13 Safe Rory thanked everyone involved for volunteering their time to help him deal with Sarah's ex. He did have to pay the private investigator, who was hired to shadow the cop during his return to Chicago. Finally, Sarah and Rebecca were safe. They could freely travel anywhere Sarah decided, whether that was California, or perhaps just as far as Denver. Rory was sad, but realistic, knowing that he couldn't offer them much more than a farm life full of chores, feeding livestock, looking after farm animals, maintaining farm equipment, buildings, fences, etc. Not to mention keeping the business accounts, cleaning the farmhouse, and preparing meals. He knew that farming wasn't an easy life especially for a city girl like Sarah. He was so pleased that Sarah had kept the books for him in recent weeks, as she had recovered a considerable amount in overpaid in taxes from the last several years. She had earned her weight in gold. To give Sarah more freedom, Rory had quietly purchased her an SUV. He had Mel move the vehicle from the Quonset, where he had stored it, and drive it to Mel and Deb's place, where Sarah and Rebecca were waiting. Rory called Sarah's cell phone. It's over, he said, when she answered the phone. Sarah was speechless, as relief surged through her body and mind. You're safe now, sweetheart. You're free to do whatever you wish, he said, trying not to let his voice crack. Are you coming to get us? Sarah asked. No. Mel is bringing you a gift from me. Call it a freedom gift, he said. Sarah was perplexed. Rory's words gave her the impression that he wanted Sarah and Rebecca to leave, but his behavior in every other way, for weeks— had shown her how deeply he loved and cared about them. She hung up the phone trying, but failing, to hold back her emotions. Deb saw Sarah's expression, went to her, 
and put her arms around her. Sarah's mind was in turmoil as she looked at Deb. Her tears started to flow as, distraught, she said, I don't think he wants me anymore. Surprising Sarah, Deb laughed. I love my cousin Rory to death, but that doesn't mean I like him all the time. He hasn't ever been able to talk to people very well and emotionally, he's as dumb as a box of rocks. He loves you deeply, Sarah, but he is afraid that, if he gives you his heart completely, he could be badly hurt. He was devastated when Tina died, as you know, and it took him years to recover. Deb put her hands on Sarah's shoulders and held her firmly. He is afraid that you will reject him and take off somewhere now that your ex is no longer a threat. Staring right into her eyes, Deb continued, Is that what you want to do? If you want to leave, you're free and able. Rory has bought you a new GMC you can. You can take it and go anywhere you want, but trust me when I say, you will be taking my cousin's heart with you. He gave it to you and for the second he pulled you two out of the snowbank. The choice is yours. Deb looked down to see Rebecca staring up at them. Then Sarah looked down and saw that her daughter's eyes were red and dripping with tears. Sarah knew that Rebecca loved Rory and was upset to overhear that they might consider leaving. She leaned down and wrapped her arms around Rebecca. What if he doesn't want us, Rebecca? She asked quietly. Deb started laughing so hard, hearing Sarah's ridiculous question, that she nearly fell on the floor. Rory sat on his front porch, cursing for allowing himself to become vulnerable again. His heart had broken when Tina died and, although he had recovered, would never heal completely. Deep down, he still loved Tina and missed her. He couldn't just turn his love on and off. Even years later, he regularly visited her grave to be sure it was maintained and had fresh flowers, mostly her favorite yellow roses. Rebecca had accompanied him a few times and had helped him arrange the flowers. However, Rory had discovered that, although he still had a place in his heart for Tina— there was plenty of room left for Sarah and Rebecca, and he loved them deeply. Now he worried that he would lose them forever. Rory had bought them a vehicle and had readied a large amount of cash for them, so all they had to do was pack and leave. He was filled with doubts and thought to himself, I hope Sarah wants to stay, but I'm just a simple farmer. What do I have to offer a beautiful woman like Sarah? Next, he second-guessed their physical love for each other. They had made love often, or at least he had. Now he wondered whether Sarah was making love or merely showing her gratitude that he was prepared for heartache when he saw Sarah's new Yukon speeding towards the farmhouse. As it pulled into the courtyard, Rory could see only Sarah in the SUV, and wondered if she had left Rebecca at Deb's while she came to pack their belongings. Rory tried to greet his beloved, but his voice cracked, so he settled for a weak smile, the best he could manage. Sarah slid out of the SUV and stared at Rory with her fists on her hips. Then she strode over to him with determination etched on her face. Seeing how serious she looked, Rory lost his smile. She reached him, bent down, softly kissed his lips, and pushed him back in his chair. Then Sarah straddled him, placed her palms on his cheeks, and kissed him again. What are my options, Rory? She demanded. Uh, well, uh, oh, the... He stuttered eloquently. I have to know, Rory. I have to know what I need to do. You can do anything you want, Sarah. You are free, but I don't recommend going back to Chicago. So, you are just going to let me in for? Deliberately calling her by her nickname. Just walk out of your life forever? Sarah asked incredulously. Only if I have to, Rory stated. Why? Sarah asked. My cousin Lynn said that if I loved someone then I should set her free and, if she returned, she would love me forever and if she didn't then it wasn't meant to be. Your cousin is an idiot. Do you love me? Sarah asked. 
Yes, very much, he answered. I am the type of woman needs to hear that a few times a day, every day. I am not all that secure emotionally, so I expect my man to make sure I know he loves me, and his daughter. Rory's lips quivered as she said that. Will you stay with me then? He finally asked. I thought you would never ask, she said. Of course, I would love to stay with you. This house will need a lot of work to make it a home, Rory, she added, while smiling. It has been a home to me ever since you and four came here. You made it a home, Sarah. No, we will all make it a home, Rory, all three of us. Rory smiled and kissed her. Then Sarah said, Actually, there is something you might want to know about Rory. Rory kissed her again. All I want to know is that you and four are staying here. This may take precedence over that. Sarah, nothing in the world could be more important than the fact that you and four are going to stay here, and we can be a family together. Rory said determinately. Actually, there is. Sarah said, just as determinately. Okay, baby, go ahead. Spit it out. Sarah grabbed her purse and opened it. She pulled out a crumpled sheet of newspaper. Inside it was a plastic stick that she had purchased earlier in the week. She handed it to Rory. Rory looked at it, puzzled, and then into Sarah's eyes. He turned the stick over and read the large blue letters that spelled out, Pregnant. Well, that made sense. They had been making love for almost three months by then, and Sarah's birth control had run out. Rory was speechless, and Sarah knew she had just made her man very happy. Chapter 14 Together at Last Rory and Sarah were married just a few weeks later. The wedding was not large, but the reception rivaled many others for sheer enjoyment. Rebecca was happy to stop calling Rory, Uncle Rory, and began to call him, Daddy. The first couple of times Rebecca called him Daddy, Rory choked up and couldn't speak for a while. His heart was filled with love each time. Point three months after their wedding, an envelope arrived in the mail, the contents of which caused Sarah great excitement. She could hardly wait until Rebecca and Rory returned from the morning chores. Since it was spring and the cattle could feed on new grass in the pasture, the chores didn't take as long although the cattle still needed to be checked as the cows were going to calf soon, and Rory had to monitor their health. About noon Rory and Rebecca returned with broad smiles on their faces. Sarah waited in the dining room for them to clean up and take their seats for lunch. She had prepared a special lunch to celebrate the contents of the envelope. After kissing Sarah on the lips, Rory took his seat, as did Rebecca. Instead of loading their plates with food, Sarah raised her hand and said, I have some good news for you too. Rory and Rebecca looked at each other, then turned expectantly to Sarah. She held the manila envelope aloft. Everyone at the table knew what the news was, but were enjoying the suspense. Is that what we've been waiting for? Rebecca asked excitedly. Yes, it is. The state approved your adoption. All we have to do now is fill out the paperwork, and Rory will officially be your daddy. He is already my daddy, snapped Rebecca, in an aggressive tone. Yes, he is but this makes it official. And you will be a Benson too. No longer a Brown. I have filled out everything but one line. All I want to know is, Rebecca, what would you like your name to read officially? I get to pick my name? Rebecca asked. Yes, you do. Sarah assured her. Rebecca thought for a long time, while Rory just smiled and continued to watch Sarah. Sarah wasn't sure what Rebecca would decide, but Rory was hoping she would choose the nickname that he'd given her. My name will be for Rebecca Benson, she said with a smile on her lips. What happens when you turn five in a few months? Sarah asked, for looked at her daddy. 
I like it when you call me four, daddy. I don't want to ever turn five. Four, no one can stop you from growing up, but I would like to keep calling you four, because I want to remember you as young and innocent as you are now. But I know you are going to be a wonderful woman too. Four smiled at her father. Sarah smiled at her family. Epilogue Four waited, in her white wedding gown, staring at the incredibly handsome man in front of her. She walked to him over the short grass and said, Daddy, as she reached up to dry the tears that were streaming down his cheeks. Daddy, I love you. Think of all the grandchildren I will bring you. I don't want to know anything about you making them for. He countered, trying unsuccessfully to stop his tears. Point four put her arms around her father, held him, and tried to reassure him that she was not abandoning him. She knew he was hurting. He had done so much for her growing up. He had always been there throughout her life. He had helped with her schooling, with homework, with 4-H where she became very competitive, with college, and then with veterinary school. He had even introduced her to her fiancé. Rory had hired him to help around the farm while she was in school, telling her that he needed extra help now that she was away at college. He had even built her a lovely house although, thankfully, not as elaborate as the farm home. She held her father tightly as they walked down the aisle together, arm in arm. She was being held by her handsome father while looking ahead at the handsome man she would marry. For felt so grateful to the man whose family name she had used for the last twenty-four years after he had legally adopted her point for would always remember her father's reaction when the preacher asked, Who gives this woman to be married this day? Her father opened his mouth, but no words came out. He simply raised her hand and placed it in her fiancé's hand. She felt her eyes water as her dad bent and kissed her cheek, still unable to speak. Then he turned to sit next to her mother point for watched her mother and twin brothers, Bill and Blake, tried to comfort him as he sat with her mom and sister for. Yes, her father insisted on naming her little sister for. Her legal name was for Mary Beth Benson. Rebecca had to smile. She had the best family in the world. She turned, said her vows, and walked to the car with her new husband to begin her new life. But one thing was certain. She would be back. Her parents, and the whole town, needed another veterinarian and she intended to be the best. The End This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Visit the other channels for more stories with a different focus. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out.